Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. TuneIn is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. That clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You set my world on fire. Even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to tunein.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening. This is the best of the Joe Show, running back some of the best audio you've heard on this radio station over the past 24 hours. Happy Cinco de Drinco. I am Dan Day, and if you were just now listening to the Hawk and Crowder show, you know I will not be celebrating this evening for political reasons. I don't want to get into it. What I do want to get into is more Don Shula stories and coverage. So in a couple of minutes, going to meet up with the Joe Rose Show. And Joe Rose, of course, played for the great late Don Shula. And they're going to be joined by another guy who got coached by Don Shula for a very long time. Don struck unbelievable stories. Then a little while later, we'll get into Dan Levitard. Here's a little taste of that. All right, BJ, here's the big question. Uh, 86 Celtics, 97 Bulls. Who wins? Oh. Man, that's a... Uh... Yeah. BJ Armstrong, wow. Might be surprised in that. Then Hawk and Crowder, they're going to take a look at Don Shula's Hall of Fame induction speech. That is going to definitely... Oh, man. Mm. Going to have to dry your eye a little bit. But right now, let's get into some Hall of Fame headlines. Don Shula's family is making arrangements in wake of the legendary coach's passing, but a public tribute is on hold due to coronavirus. Former Kane and Dolphin Frank Gore has signed a one-year deal with the Jets. This will be the running back's 16th season. Albert Wilson has restructured his contract. Instead of making $9.5 million, the Dolphins' wideout will make $3 million with another million possible in incentives. Mike Tyson has begun training again. No word on whether or not the former heavyweight champion will step back in the ring. Marshawn Lynch says he is in talks with the Seahawks about returning to the team. If he does, he'll have to battle former Kane DJ Dallas, who was drafted by Seattle recently in the fourth round. Chris Bosh revealed he has not picked up a ball in over a year, then compared the Heatles teams he was a part of to rock supergroup Cream. In the sunshine of your love. With that being said, seems like it is the perfect time to take a step into the day spa. (sighs) Baton Rouge area police are warning of an aggressive chicken attacking customers at an ATM. That's Louisiana for you. Need to call my mom and tell her to stay in the car. A five-year-old in Utah recently stole his parents' car and was attempting to drive to California with $3 in his pocket in order to buy a Lamborghini. I like his style. A man in China who buried $280,000 five years ago 
has now lost 70,000 of it due to mold and decay. Someone needs to introduce this guy to a bank. The pee your pants challenge has taken off. That means people are posting video of them purposely wetting their pants. I'm out. In this Corona thing, whew, it's gone too far. Coronavirus too. I'm guessing Corona and coronavirus have a little something to do with the pee your pants challenge. Now on to weather. Tonight's forecast clear with temperatures in the mid 70s. We continue to remember Don Shula. I just remember growing up loving Don Shula. And I didn't even live here in South Florida. I was in South Louisiana. Everyone respected and loved Don Shula. But maybe more so than anyone besides his family, of course, or his extended family, the players he coached and touched their lives. Joe Rose this morning, who of course was coached by Don Shula, was talking with former Dolphins quarterback Don Strzok. Man, they got some Shula stories for you. Also, Shula's adaptability, what Dolphins practice was like, working the refs, and that 12-minute run that is oh-so-legendary. Don, good morning. Thank you for your time this morning. I know it was a rough day yesterday, but we appreciate the time. No problem. Uh, Kokomo Joe and Zachariah, it's always good to talk to you. Hey, uh, Stoker, last night I was going, wow. I was looking at pictures, and you're standing with Coach, and and I was like, well, Don Strzok's been with him in the 70s. He's been with him in the 80s. He's been in more meetings than probably just about anybody with him. He's won games for him in the 70s and the 80s, filling in for Woodley and for Marino and everything else, Stroke. I, I just thought it'd be an interesting take, uh, some of your some of your stories with uh, with Coach Shula and, uh, and, and seeing the change from running the football to throwing it as much as anybody in the NFL. The team was undefeated in 1972. They won the Super Bowl, beating the Washington Redskins. That next year they drafted me. I was the leading passer in the country. In the Super Bowl, Greasy threw seven times. So it did look like <laughs> my career was going to be real long with Miami Dolphins. We, were, we would throw seven passes in a minute, let alone in a game. But they had a running game, and I remember going into camp. At that time, believe it or not, guys, you know, the goalposts were still on the end line, okay? Wow. For one more year, we had six preseason games, 14 regular season games, and camp was eight weeks. If you've ever been, Joe, I understand your pain, okay? (laughs) You've been through a Shula camp before. Can you imagine eight weeks of it instead of four or five? They had a veteran team. They came in. You know, for two weeks, we were running plays. The very first play that Bob Greasy called in Team Starts, we didn't even have in the playbook yet for the rookies. We were kind of lost. Right then, we were going, oh, my God, we got a long way to go here. You know, and uh, I learned so much from those guys. I mean, I had an opportunity. First quarterback meeting I ever sat in. I'm sitting in the middle. I've got Bob Greasy on my left. I've got Earl Morrow on my right. Howard Schnellberger's running the projector. Coach Shula sitting next to him. John Sandusky sitting, I mean, sitting back. Our offensive line coach, who is the guy that really made the motor work, we're having discussions, you know, about personnel and, and, uh, uh, you know, what are you going to use in this situation? How how will we use this guy? When's the best time to run a weak side? You know, whatever. And quarterbacks called their own plays. So everything was notes. I took more notes in the first two or three years than I think. Uh, I I ran out of paper several times, you know. and, and, uh, And then afterwards, you had to study them. You know, whatever, because you weren't allowed a mistake in practice. Joe, 
you know that. I mean, if you yep. made a mistake in practice, you like you just came back with your head hanging down and say, you know what? I'm just going to get my butt reamed out right here now. Okay, <laughs> and you know, sure enough, it never failed. You would be on another field working on something, and all of a sudden you hear that familiar voice from the other side, "Hey, that's not the way we do it. Get your butt over there and do it right." Going, okay, well, you know, how 200 yards away from me saw me take a wrong step or something, you know. So you were when you were in these meetings, the quarterback meetings, you were geared to find a way to win. And you know, Joe, from experience, that we his, his thing in his first meeting was always, we're going to take one game at a time. We're going to win one at a time. We're going to win. We're going to win the division. We're going to win the conference. And our our, our objectivity is to go to the Super Bowl and win that. That was it every year for 15 years. I heard that. You know, there was a time when I could, uh, you know, in the last few years, I could actually recite the whole speech before it even started. It was uh, instilled in you. You knew what practice was going to be. You're off on Monday. Tuesday, you came in. You watched the film. You got your butt reamed out if you made mistakes. Or you, once in a while, you might get patted on the back for a great play. Special teams, you watch that. Then you watch the offense and defense. They break down. We go out on the field, see who was nicked up, who could practice that week. It was, it was routine. Wednesday, you were in full gear, putting in the offensive game plan. Tuesday, uh, well, Thursday, you were in full gear, putting in the defensive game plan. Then you wore shoulder pads and helmets on Friday, going a little bit of half and half, offense and defense and special teams. And Saturday was a walkthrough. It was that way for 15 straight years. When I took over and started the FIU football program, my guys did the same thing. I only knew I only knew one right. way, okay, right. Joe? I knew one way. Yeah, right. This is the way we meet. This is how we're going to break up, you know, little sliding doors. I had the little sliding doors. Defense over here on the right, offense on the left. Go out to the practice field. We, we line up and stretch accordingly. We went out for a game. We ran down the sideline and came across. So we went down and got in our positions to stretch. We did the pat and go. I mean, everything. We did everything exactly the same way because it was second nature to me and it became second nature to my, my team. Very, uh, you know, I was thinking about it sometimes, you know, and I think, you know, as much as I learned from the man and, and trust Trust me when I tell you the quarterbacks probably butted heads with him more than most people. You know, I mean, not, not seeing eye to eye on maybe certain plays or whatever and certain personnel you wanted in the game. In the long run, uh, I think you could say he was quite successful in his career. And Dolphin Nation, uh, you know, was very sad. They will be for a while. And, uh, you know, when you think of Miami, you think of Don Shula and the undefeated football team. Hey, Don, uh, you, know, it's, you know it's amazing, too stand on that sideline with, with Coach Shula. That sideline official was always, it was some of the most entertaining stuff of, of all time. <laughs> when there'd be a call made, you had to admit, like, and you'd see it coming, right, and when Coach Shula would call for him because when he was fired up, it was intimidating. And it was intimidating. Ugh. It had to be intimidating for those guys. Troy, how about that show that we'd get? And, and those guys, they didn't make enough money for that job. Well, they had one gentleman, on there, uh, his name was Dean Look. And Dean Look was a side judge. And he went to school with Earl Morrill at Michigan State, okay? So he was on the sideline. I said, Dean, you know, are you on uh, their sideline first or our sideline first? And he goes, I'm starting on your sideline. I can't wait for the second half. And I said, well, these guys like to hold our wide receivers because they can't keep up with them. And you better call them early because Coach Shula's going to be all over you if you don't, okay? <laughs> said, you know that. And he, would, and he would always look at me and laugh and he'd go, are you trying to intimidate me? I said, no, but he will, 
<laughs> I can tell you that right now. Yeah, I've seen him. Uh, you know, and the best part was he was part of the competition committee. So these referees' jobs were on the line. You know, if he didn't like some of the calls they made, but he worked referees pretty good. You know, the sideline was. You remember this too, Joe? When he when he turned around to face the bench, the offense was on the right, the defense was on the left. The offensive line was on the bench right in front of him. Receivers and whatever were to the right of them. So he knew where everyone was so he can go get you if he had to. You know, so it was all organized, all disciplined. You know, the winning edge was extra work, gassers, desire. It was all just posted on the board when you walked in. That's the first thing you saw when you walked into a meeting room. And it was an honor to play for him. You know, when you didn't realize when it was all over and done that 347 wins, 19 uh, years in the playoff, six Super Bowls. And it goes on and on and on and on. You know, when it all adds up, it adds up to like the most unbelievable numbers of all time. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's definitely the, the whole thing, Don. We, we we've been talking about. You know, Stroker, even though you smoke, man, you never had trouble with the 12-minute run. And we saw, we were talking about Larry throwing up and Ed Newman trying to lift weights, just grunting through, just, and it, it was incredible how many guys struggle with that damn run. Well, because you practiced first. Remember, we used to have a practice first, and then he'd say, okay, line up for the 12-minute run. I remember we used to have to, uh, just about every year we had to carry Ed Newman across the line so he could make it to the finish line. Remember, we go and get him on the far corner, and, I mean, I mean, Coach Sandusky, Ski would say, you better go get him. He's about ready to go down. You know, So we'd go grab him, and you'd have guys underneath his arms. We'd be dragging him across the line. And they would say, okay, he made it. You know, going, God, he couldn't do this again, I can tell you that. I think Larry Little ever made a 12-minute run. Okay. I saw about Larry throwing up in front of me one day, and I about lost my cookies watching poor Larry just struggle. I mean, it was right. like, you know, the worst part about it was, you know, I think Coach Shula actually liked it. It was that last thing, it was 95 degrees, it was 90% humidity. Okay, yeah, you guys, I'll tell you what you can do. You can take your shirt off. Okay, thanks. You know, so when you started out, when you got me, remember, Joe, you get to the left halfway, you had a halfway to go, you say, well, how much time's left? You go, you got 28 seconds. Oh, my God. If I don't make it, I'm going to have to do it again. And you're going like, I mean, you would do whatever you had to do to pass. And when you hit it and you made it in 12 minutes, you slowed down to a crawl. You're exhausted. I mean, you just went through a two-hour practice and going full full gear, full way, and then all of a sudden you're going to run a 12-minute run. And then the best part was, okay, I know you remember this, Chuck. He would come in and he'd give the announcement afterwards after all the final testing was done. Oh, remember that? Oh, okay, let me see. Bench press. Don Strzok, he did two. And everybody would laugh and hoot and holler. And he'd say, at least, and then he'd say, and then he'd kind of stick it in you and go, ah, at least it was better than last year. He only did one. You know, you know, one of those. And counting on a defensive line to be strong, and I've got a starting defensive end that bench pressed 225 four times. Are you kidding me? You know, I mean, and it's just, I mean, on and on. You remember that, Joe? It was like oh. yesterday. And they go, 12 minute run. Glenn Blackwood. The guy who won the 12-minute run never made the football team. I remember we had a defensive back. He ran like seven and a half laps or seven and three-quarters laps in 12 minutes. And everybody's going, and we went in to get the final, you know, four days later. Okay, here's the results of all the testing. Uh, Joe Blow ran seven laps and three-quarters. We cut him yesterday. You know, it wasn't that. It was like you were going to do it because that's what he did. 
okay? The funniest thing I've heard in so long, last year at a game, Jim Kick was there, and Jim Jensen, Crash brought him up to say hello, and I've known Jim for a long time. I played with him, obviously. And he walks up and he goes, Stroker, the shoe's here? I said, yeah, he's right over there. He said, yeah, he's probably going to make us run the 12-minute run. I said, don't worry, Jim, you're 72 years old. You're not going to have to do it now, okay? <laughs> it, it has, and Don, I think you agree, it's been fun watching uh, Coach Shula at the end, especially when he's out of coaching. Being a, a, a getting to see a, a different side of the guy and and not as a media guy or playing for him, just uh, to see him out, and not coaching and not worried about what people are saying and and busting everybody's chops was pretty cool. So much different. I saw Dan did a little interview yesterday. And he goes, he goes, was he much more fun? Now he says he wasn't much fun back then. You know, <laughs> I mean, right. it was work. It was like we have a job to do. You know, that's what we, we're here for. And there was no, there's no shortcuts. You know that, Joe. There was no nope. shortcuts. This is the way we do it. He had a, always had a great mix of veteran players and young guys. And the young guys would come in and they would do something on the practice field or whatever or a meeting or whatever. And he'd say to one of the veteran guys, would you tell that guy to, 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 to watch everybody else and see what they're doing? He said, this is the way we do it, okay? You know, and that was the way everybody learned. Hey, this is how you line up. This is how we go about practice. This is how we go onto the football field. This is how we play football games. And it never wavered as long as I was there. No, never did. Stroker, it's been great, man. Thank you awesome. so much for uh, listen. Thanks, for guys, and stuff, uh, you man. know, let's keep the kids keep the uh, Shula family in our thoughts and prayers in this difficult time. You know, I know it's, it's a difficult time for them, and uh, we, we obviously we know all of them. You know, uh, we've been around them for our entire life. I mean, lifetimes down here anyway. But uh, our, they're in our thoughts and prayers, and I'll tell you, it was an honor to play for him, and uh, uh, he's going to be missed. There's no question about it. And like I said, you say Miami. Uh, you know, you, you're thinking Don Shula and the Miami Dolphins and, this, and the perfect season and end of story. When I first got here, the only professional sport in town was the Miami Dolphins. They were certainly, uh, eyeballs were on them, and he did a tremendous job leading them. What a celebration of Don Shula's life. Joe Rose, Stroker, just talking great stories. What I liked about Don Shula, not just everything he embodied, but when I was coming up, that's how coaches were. They didn't do all this, can you do this for me, can you do no... Do it and we'll win. That was Don Shula. Do this, let's win. The man, the myth, the Don. Don Shula, RIP. We're going to continue here on 560 The Joe to give you wall-to-wall coverage of Don Shula, celebrate his life, remember his legacy, but also we'll step away here and there. So next, the Dan Levitard Show will, of course, take a look into the Don Shula era, but they'll also do a little of this. All right, BJ, here's the big question. Uh, 86 Celtics, 97 Bulls. Who wins? Man, that's a... uh... Yeah. BJ Armstrong, he played for the Bulls. He may have a very surprising answer for you in just about five minutes here on the Best of the Joe Show. Welcome back to the Best of the Joe Show, running back some of the best audio you've heard on this radio station over the past 24 hours. I am a Dan Day. Here's some of that Sabbath playing. Yeah! It is the band's former drummer, Bill Ward's 72nd birthday. Speaking of music birthdays, Kurt Loder, legendary MTV News anchor, 75 years old today. Woo! That makes me feel not so young. I remember growing up, 
always seen Kurt Loder on MTV News. He is the person that announced to the world that the leader, not the lead singer, but the leader of Nirvana, Kurt Cobain, had passed away. I don't even know if MTV has anything to do with music anymore, or if it's even on TV. I don't own a TV, and I don't own cable. But if I did own a TV, and I did own cable, I would watch MTV tonight just because Kurt Loder is now 75 on this day. Probably on MTV, it would be teen mom, ex-boyfriend, stepmother's best friend, 15, something like that, weird reality show. But I'd watch it because Kurt Loder, that is an OG when it comes to music, when it comes to news. Much respect right there. Speaking of being an OG when it comes to sports radio in Miami, Dan Lebitar been doing it, doing it, and doing it well for a while. And you can still hear him do it so well weekdays from 10 to 1 right here on 560 the joe earlier today they asked the question dan marino who plus tua pick a number already then bj armstrong sharpshooter for the bulls back in the day for a while with michael jordan he had some very interesting takes like who does he feel bad for image wise while watching the last dance gambling with jordan and then the almighty question 86 celtics or 97 bulls Uh uh-oh surprise billy was very offensive when he actually said the phrase who the hell is dan marino uh when we were discussing the hypothetical of whether or not tua should come in here and demand number 13 be unretired uh now billy is complaining he's getting restless he wants to he wants Tua to pick a number already how are your feelings toward Tua at this minute because they uh they change a little bit uh every couple of minutes i don't remember if i exactly said who the hell is dan marino i I don't remember just like that but this is what i'll say dan last week me and chris cody went a bit out on the ledge for our guy tua and we had his back and said you know what it'd be nice if dan marino who the hell is dan marino to let someone else use his number because obviously tua is going to be a bigger part of this organization moving forward than dan marino and i think greg cody can agree with that dan marino's yesterday's news right here's the thing though what has tua done for us lately because we're just sitting around here waiting for him to get a number just pick a number already if I want to buy a Tua jersey, pick a number. I went out and I said that thing that a lot of people didn't like about Dan Marino. And what did he do? He didn't pick number 13. Then he's tweeting out number five. And I don't know if that's a hashtag five, which is a hashtag that I don't understand, or if he's the number sign five, because hashtags Dan and number signs, same thing. I don't know if you're aware of that. But he hasn't picked a number five. You could pick a two for Tua. You could pick a one. Just pick a number so people get jerseys. There's all this hype around Tua, and what has he done for this community so far? Absolutely nothing. I don't think that he's worthy of number 13 anymore, now that we're talking about it. And he should never get a street. Dan Marino Boulevard, number 13. Keep it with Dan the Man Marino over there, because Tua hasn't done anything for us yet. Uh, wow, you are really pent mm. up. It feels like that was a bit of a diuretic there, that uh, you've been trying to get some of that out of your system for a while. You also <laughs> seem to have gotten hostile there at the end, where, you, yeah, I don't understand. So that's it? Tua needs to pick a number, or you're done with him? You've, you've reached the edges of the extreme? Well, what else is he doing, Dan? Is he so busy practicing? No, he can't be practicing. Just pick a number. Throw a dart at a dartboard and pick a number. Just pick a number already so your fans can buy a jersey to support you. Yes, Chris Cody. Billy and I were talking about this off air yesterday. What about negative numbers? Can we yes. do that? Yeah. Can he be ah. number negative 13? 
Yes. Tua Tagovailoa, n- number negative yes. 13. Why I'd buy negative that. numbers? What are you guys talking about? Who the hell is Dan Marino? Uh, Greg Cody, uh, I, you hear that. I, I mean, I, I can't imagine that there are a whole lot of things in the sports world that are going to enrage Cody like that one. Well, if I were Tua, the last number on earth I would want is, is Dan, Stu, and Greg Cody on ESPN Radio. Uh, BJ Armstrong joins us now on ESPN Radio. Thank you, uh, BJ, for making the time. Hope, uh, hope that you're well. You were on first take before, uh, the, the documentary started and you said you were worried about how Michael Jordan would be portrayed. Uh, what do you make of how he's been portrayed? Well, you know, you just, uh, in knowing him and knowing him, you know, for many years that I have, just, you know the intensity, the focus that he brought, and when you have, when you see someone from the outside and you see them with this type of focus and energy, you just never know how it you know how it will be portrayed and how it would look from the outside. But um, somehow, I think the director Jason Ayer and, and his staff they've done a great job thus far, and and uh, I think it's been terrific. It's uh, certainly been very enjoyable, and people seem to have a very uh, positive response to the uh, documentary thus far. You felt bad for anybody? Have you felt bad for Jerry Krause, for Tony Kukoc, for Isaiah Thomas? Is there anyone you felt bad for watching the portrayal? Kind of funny. When you're watching other people, you know, it's like other people's lives seem way more interesting than your own. So uh, it's kind of weird to watch yourself and know that, you know, these were things that we did. And I never thought twice about it or thought in my wildest dreams that anyone was ever interested in what was going on. But, you know, and it's not that you feel bad. It's just part of public life, right? And there has to be heroes. There has to be villains. You know, growing up in this sports world, some form of entertainment that it is, of course, there are going to be different takes on it. But I can say this, you know, especially in Jerry Krause and Isaiah, these people are incredibly accomplished what they accomplished. You know, Isaiah, in his case, he was, you know, definitely a world champion, very well respected um, and had a wonderful career. And, of course, Jerry Krause, what he was able to achieve in his career, I mean, six championships in eight years speak for himself. So um, I think everyone in the end is, you know, they're doing okay. And, um, you know, and and in Jerry's case, he's no longer with us. But for those who knew him, we knew that he was very focused and wanted to win just as much as any of the guys that were playing. Spoken as someone who wasn't smeared and sideswiped by anything that happened in the documentary. For example, when you uh, when you hear Horace Grant saying, hey, it's not true. I'm not the sole source on the Jordan rules uh, with Sam Smith. You uh, you don't say to yourself, well, that's a frustrating position to be in, especially as you're saying, look, that didn't just come from Horace. There were a lot of people talking. Well, you know, you got to re- put it in its proper context back then. You got to remember that everyone, especially at the time, Sam Smith, these these guys were in the locker room each and every day, right? They were um, they were beat reporters and they followed the team. So when you see things like that, my first instinct is to say, okay, there's no way that one person could have had this many different viewpoints. And certainly, thirty years later, it's interesting to see that no one has said anything in thirty years. So all of a sudden now I'm not going to get all up in arms because someone wrote a book uh, of anything like that uh, and started saying things. So, but again, I, get, I think it makes for great theater. I think it makes for, you know, people speaking out and saying things. But without question, I think Sam Smith um, understood then, just like we understand now, that, you know what, he's around the team each and every day. People can say things. People can put the pieces together. And this is what you get. Some of it's right. Some of it's not right. But that was the first time for us, especially as a group, there was things around that we knew 
that people were talking about. And um, it was written. But if anything, that situation brought us closer together. We still accomplished what we needed to accomplish because we were a tight-knit group and we found a way to win uh, regardless of what was going on around us. B.J. Armstrong with us here on ESPN Radio. B.J., uh, would Doug Collins, had he remained the head coach of the Bulls, would Doug Collins have eventually won a championship with Michael Jordan and that team? You know, I, I never played for Doug. Um, I was actually drafted by Doug, and then my first year, uh, Doug was on the staff when I was drafted, and then that summer, um, my, my first year coming into the league was Phil Jackson's first year. You know, you know it's interesting. Um, I, I think anyone, I played against many of Doug's teams uh, in the NBA, and Doug was, he was a terrific, terrific coach. Um, you know, he was, he was uh, I, I would say, more, he probably was more similar to like a Chuck Daly type coach and the way he played and the way his teams were played, but he was, they were always very well prepared. And I, I, w- I would tend to believe that they would have won a championship with Doug. You know, Doug was very capable. Um, he's one of the, you know, more respected basketball people. And every time I've spoken with him and conversations we had over the years, I mean, he knows his stuff. So uh, I would tend to believe that he would have won, you know, to what extent, Hey, who knows? And you don't know how people, uh, will respond in different pressure situations until you work with those people. But as far as his knowledge of the game and understanding the game, without question, he is right up there with any of any of the coaches I've ever played for or um, spoken with over the years. And uh, I tend to think that if you're saying one, for sure he would have gotten one. Yes or no, B.J. Armstrong ever went from the $1 games of gambling with Will Perdue to the high money uh, stakes in the back of the airplane? Yes or no? No. Okay, you never. How about this? B.J. Armstrong, when he saw Michael Jordan laughing at the traveling Chicago cocaine circus, thought what to himself when he watched that? I didn't think, <laughs> you know, thinking is too slow of a process in sports. So I don't, I just go, my favorite word is like, whatever, you know, it's like, oh, let's move on. Uh, we will move on. Uh, were you, uh, were you around uh, close by when Steve Kerr got punched in the face by Michael Jordan? I was not, I was not on the team during that time. So um, I was not around for that skirmish, but I've, I've seen quite a few skirmishes in my uh, NBA career. So, uh, but you know, it's, it's part of it. And, you know, you know, you, on the best like, one, give me the best one. Give me the, the statute of limitations is up on this. The best skirmish well, I, that BJ Armstrong this, 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 has seen. Well, I, I, I've seen quite a few. And, and here's the, here's the thing. Here, here's the thing that's always, you know, when I hear about fights, especially on great teams or teams that are trying to win a championship, it's like there, there's there's levels to the fighting, right? If you're on a bad team, you have fights, right? If you're on a team that's not winning, you'll have a fight and, you know, and people are slow to break it up. If you're on a good team like that, like that Jordan team, like that Bulls team, you never have a fight because someone can seriously get hurt, right? You could, you could break a hand. You could, someone can miss two or three months. And that's the difference between winning and losing. I was, I'm really surprised that that fight even took, even, you know, that even took place. And that was the one that I was like, oh, wow, that's interesting. Because how do you let a player like Michael Jordan and Steve Kerr, how do, how do they get in a skirmish? Now, Steve is, Kerr's face needs to apologize to Michael Irvin, Michael Jordan's hand there. Steve Kerr's face. Well, yeah, I don't know what happened. And, you know, but the thing that I was surprised playing on good teams and being in the league is that that would even took place. 
Like, how could that even take place? Because everyone that plays on a great team understands, right, you want to bring the practice to that level of intensity. But then you never allow it to cross the line. So I was like, it was like kind of shocking to me that that could even happen with a team like Chicago because they were a team that was expected to be in the finals and have an opportunity to win, and they eventually did it. But that could have been a a, a moment in time where, you know, something could have happened, right? Either Steve got hurt or Michael could have gotten hurt or anyone could have got hurt. But you never, especially when you're a team that's focused in trying to win a championship, you know, things like that, very rarely do you let that occur. All right, BJ, here's the big question. Uh, 86 Celtics, 97 Bulls. Who wins? Man, that's a, uh, yeah. Yeah, that's a, that's a, that's a good one. I think that's a good matchup. Um, you know, I, I've played against Larry. I, I've, I've always, you know, there's certain players that you just have this, you know, when I came in the league, I was a young player and I, I remember my first game playing against Larry Bird. I just had this, he had this look about him that, you know, you just didn't play around with him, you know, and I knew the respect that he had garnished in his career from the older players and you just knew something about him was just different. Um, Jay, so I, BJ, I would, I would, are you, are you I taking the Celtics? Well, well, are, you take, are you taking the Celtics, BJ? Please. You will be the no, first. I'm, not, I'm yes. not taking the Celtics. Yes, but I would. I would say it's going to be a game seven. I oh, really think no. that that would be a game BJ, seven because no, Larry BJ, Bird take, BJ, No, no, take a stand, BJ. We're not letting no, you off. You can't take. Well, listen. You could take, take a stand geez. if you're just like being a fan. If you're look, I, Larry Bird was a that that guy in '86, '87. That guy was like playing as you got him losing game as, seven. High now you got him losing game seven. You got yeah. him losing game well, seven. Well, I'm going to say I'm going to say this. I think Jordan will win the game, <laughs> but I wouldn't. That's one of those games I definitely wouldn't want to. I I could see Bird winning. I, I could see Michael, but I'm going to pick Michael just by a hair. But Larry Bird, man, he was man, he was. That 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 guy was something special, and I wouldn't want to play with him. I would not right. want to see him in a Game 7 for sure. Right. Jumpers yeah, in your mouth. Uh, thank you, BJ. We appreciate cool. the time. What happens to God's so I, I don't know what to do. Having... That felt, it felt like a former bull just said the 86 yeah, Celtics. Yeah, but I'm then sorry. He didn't. Then he backed off. No, but then he backed off. It felt like a black guy just picked the 86 Celtics for the first time in the history of this show, but then he backed off. That one threw me right there. He said 97 Bulls, but he really said 86 Celtics. I think B.J. Armstrong has a future in politics. Hawk and Crowder maybe don't have a future in politics, but you have a future in them just five minutes away from this. I uh, got a text before the show started. Uh, I just happened to see it on the text machine. It said, uh, got a PTO day. Solana, friend of the show. My son knows you and worked with you. Dan Day is the bomb. We're the dive bar guys celebrating Cinco de Mayo. We've got H&C, Hockman and Crowder on the speaker. We're getting some sun. And then he goes on to suggest a Miami Mount Rushmore. But I wanted to give a shout out to the dive bar guys. Mm, how I miss dive bars. Oh. Goodness. So we'll get into that. Plus, we will relive Don Shula's Hall of Fame induction speech on the Best of the Joe Show. This is the Best of the Joe Show, running back some of the best audio you've heard on this radio station over the past 24 hours. I am Dan Day. Today is Adele's birthday. She is 32. Kind of a somber song right now, but with everything going on in South Florida, especially Don Shula's passing, kind of just fits right there. Real quick. Another birthday, 
I'm joined by Alejandro Solana, who is the executive producer of the Hawk and Crowder Show. I don't know how to take this one. I've heard good things and bad things about this guy. How do you feel about Harold Miner celebrating his 49th, the baby Jordan? What what are the bad things about Harold Miner? I mean, when he played for the Heat, I wasn't even born yet. Oh, okay. But I do know two-time NBA slam dunk contest winner. So that like, that's true. what I think of Harold Miner, Heat player who first won the slam dunk contest wearing the Miami Heat thread. So that's what I think of. I don't know any of these uh, negative things about Harold Miner, though. I think the bad feelings are he kind of catfished us. We thought dunk contest champion, baby Jordan. We got something, and then he ended up not being Jordan-esque, I guess. Yeah, I, I think he was anything but Jordan. Uh, but got two dunk contest championships. Like That stands for something, I think. When it comes to the heat, I always turn to you, Solana, so go baby Jordan it up this Cinco de Drinko. Of course, you can always hear him right on the Hawk and Crowder Show weekdays 3 to 6 here on 560. The Joe, you want to hear some Hawk and Crowder? Well, they first check in with the Dibor guys, and then more Don Shula greatness. I uh, got a text before the show started. Uh, I just happened to see it on the text machine. It said, uh, got a PTO day. Solana, friend of the show. My son knows you and worked with you. Dan Day is the bomb. We're the dive bar guys celebrating Cinco de Mayo. We've got H&C, Hockman and Crowder on the speaker. We're getting some sun. And then he goes on to suggest a Miami Mount Rushmore. But I wanted to give a shout out to the dive bar guys that are listening to us right now. Um, this is this is something that's going to be, I think, chill-inducing. This is 1997, Hall of Fame induction. Don Shula is getting inducted. All the 72 team that could make it is there. I told you Dan Marino is there. Wayne Huizenga is there. So this is towards the end of the speech, and Don Shula has talked about, you know, growing up and getting into the NFL and whatnot, and he picks it up here with, the, with really the Dolphins' tenure. Let's all listen to this together. But then things fell into place. Back-to-back Super Bowls, the 17-0 perfect season. The next year, 15-2, 32-2 in two years. What a football team. I think what coaching is all about is taking players and analyzing their ability Put them in a position where they can excel within the framework of the team winning. And I hope that I've done that in my 33 years as a head coach. The one thing that I know is that you win with good people. The Hall of Famers that I've coached, we've got Bob Greasy, Jim Langer, Larry Little, Larry Zonka sitting over there, Paul Warfield. Some other guys offensively that I hope are soon going to be considered for a Hall of Fame. Bob Kuchenberg, Dwight Stevenson. We got Nat Moore sitting out here who's done so many things. And a defense. What a defense. A no-name defense in those years led by Bill Arnsberger, who's here today. And what a defensive coach. Nick Bonacani, Dick Anderson, Jake Scott, Manny Fernandez, Bill Stanfill. Two Super Bowls, 32-2 and two in two years. We've got to get a defensive player from those teams into the Hall of Fame. And I hope that someday that we're going to be able to recognize one of those players. And I also want to talk about other players that gave me everything that they had to give on special teams, practice squad, whatever. Their dedication and effort was the main reason that I was able to win so many games. Earl Morrill, I got to say a word about Earl Morrill. When Unitas went down, it was Earl Morrill. 
I was smart enough to bring him to Miami, and when Bob Greasy went down, it was Earl Morrill. The toughest decision that I ever had to make as a coach was after Bob was hurt, Earl led us to the unbeaten season. We get into the Super Bowl. After Bob's healthy, he comes back and helps us beat Pittsburgh in Pittsburgh. And then I had to make a decision. And I made the decision to start Bob Greasy. I made the decision to start, start Bob Greasy. And Earl took it like the, like the man that he is. And, and Earl, thank you for all of your contributions. The present day, for the last 13 years, I've had the opportunity to coach Dan Marino. Dan Marino makes practice exciting. He's broken all of the quarterback records in 13 years. It took Tarkington 18 years to set these records. And I hope and pray that Dan gets the opportunity to wear this ring before he retires. The career highlights, I'm proud of uh, being able to, to break the record of, of, uh, of, of a man that's meant so much to the National Football League, a record that nobody ever thought would be broken. George Hallis's record of 324, and then to end up with a, a total of 347 wins, averaging 10 regular season wins for 33 years. And the best winning percentage, and I'm very proud of this, of any professional team from 1970 to 1996. The team highlights certainly have to be 17-0, the only team in history, and a special bond has developed with that group of players. They wear this ring with pride. And this year is going to be the 25th anniversary of the 17-0 team, the only undefeated season. The low light in my career, the loss to the Jets in Super Bowl III. Weeb Eubank is the coach here, and what a coach Weeb is. And then they had a quarterback by the name, I keep forgetting, Joe, Joe Namath was the quarterback. And what a game that he had against us. And that certainly, uh, but I did learn from that negative experience. I hope the hell I learned something from that negative experience. And I'm also uh, a little bit uh, uh, upset because my career didn't end in a blaze of glory. I, I would have liked to have rode off into the sunset. But instead, we got beat in the first round of the playoffs in the last game that I coached. And I felt at that time the team underachieved and I would have loved to have bowed out with a Super Bowl win, but it didn't happen. Some special thoughts, 43 years in the National Football League. The commissioners, Burt Bell was the first commissioner when I broke in. And then Pete Rozelle and the tremendous things that he has done in the National Football League. And now Paul Tagliabue, who is a man that has got a lot of tough problems, but nobody can handle them better than, than Paul does. The 33 years as, as a head coach, uh, seven with the Colts and 26 with the Dolphins. 20 years as a member of the competition committee. Donna, you know I'm gonna me mention that. And uh, some, some great people, Tex Schramm, who I have so much respect for. Uh, he was originally on the committee, along with the late Paul Brown. Al Davis was on that committee. George Young has been so instrumental in any success that this league has had in a lot of different ways. And Don Weiss, the liaison between the committee and the league, and, and all of the tremendous times that we had together meeting for those two weeks every year, talking about player safety and playing rules. I've only been carried off the field two times. One was after the 17-0, and the other one was after 325. And I'll always remember those rides. A lot of special people family that's here today and all of the sacrifices and the loyalty and the support, friends that have been loyal in good and bad times, assistant coaches, 
Chuck Noll was an assistant that went on to win four Super Bowls. <laughs> I mentioned Bill Arnsberger, Howard Schnellenberger, Monty Clark is out here, John Sandusky, Tom Keen, Moe Carey, Carl Tassif. Uh, I'd love to see a Hall of Fame for assistant coaches to get them the recognition that they deserve. The owners that I've had the opportunity, only three, Rosenblum, who hired me at an early age, the Robbie family, and we accomplished a lot together, and Wayne Heisinga, who's here with us today. And Wayne, I would have loved to have had the opportunity to win that big one with you. I think we'd have had a hell of a time together. The fans that I've been around have been the best. They have been the best. I've enjoyed my relationship with the media over a long period of time. A lot of respect for the great ones that have survived the test of time. They're true professionals in their field. I want to count my blessings. I've been able to do something for a lifetime that I have enjoyed doing. I've had good health and I've met a lot of great people along the way. What's life been after the National Football League? I've missed the action, there's no question, on Sunday afternoon. Nothing could replace that. But my wife, Marianne, Marianne, stand up here. and let's, She's helped keep me busy by making life interesting and enjoyable. Together we have now a combined family of eight children and eight grandchildren, and we're having a lot of love and happiness together. You know, it's only 50 miles, but I've relished every moment of the longer route to get here. Thanks for letting me reflect on those great moments. Thank you. There you go. That is the, uh, the end of his Hall of Fame speech. These are some of the texts that have come in. Man, I want to run through a bleeping wall listening to Coach Shula. Somebody else texts in, Don Shula was so damn cool. R.I.P. Someone else says, and this is one of those moments where you go, yeah, and we talked about this a little yesterday. Listening to Shula's speech, it's so sad how far the Dolphins fell. We were a staple at the top of all sports. And uh, yeah, that was one of those those reminders when we started looking at the stats yesterday. I mean, just how dominant his Miami Dolphins were. So Yeah, and know. to go up there on his day, Hall of Fame, he, he, he called other people out more than talked about what he did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> he yeah. called every player that was in the stands out, man. He's just a good dude, man. After hearing that beauty from Don Shula, all I can really say is thanks for listening. I'm Dan Day. Next, a Panthers replay, and this is the best of the Joe Show. Later, slug. Tune in is the audio platform with something for everyone. News. In order to secure convictions in a court of law, it is essential that we conclusively. Sports. Back clock at four. Donchich. The step back three. You bet. Music. You said my world on even podcasts. Whatever you love, hear it right here on TuneIn. Go to TuneIn.com or download the TuneIn app to start listening.